Shop Maniac Show. We're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave. Just ate a whole bag of Doritos. Rupert, with me is Chris. Quare. Hey, Chris. Ooh, sick. What you go? I uh, cool rancher nacho cheese. Yeah, nacho cheese. Yeah, nacho yeah. Cheese. We got to yeah. bring balance to the Shop Talk Show. Different opinions. I know you're yeah. a cool ranch guy. Kind uh, of a cool ranch is, guy. Uh, well, I mean, I don't understand it myself, but I, I, I respect. Your mm-hmm. sweet choices. chili once a year, I'd say. Uh, okay, well, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. Jim Nielsen's on the show. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Right here. Hello, I'm the organic white cheddar Doritos person. Whoa! Uh, oh, baked? You mean like the real crispy? No, not baked. This is I don't know. Local gas station carries it, and it has the USDA organic stamp on it. So. That's got to be better for you than the regular Doritos, right? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like one of those special Japanese flavors. Uh, it's only come to my attention that you're not even supposed to say that foods are are he- are healthy or unhealthy, like intrinsically. You know, your diet can be healthy or unhealthy, but a food itself can't really be. You know, because it's easy to be like, oh, look at that gas station hot dog. That is an unhealthy piece of food. But is it really? I mean. Yeah. You could, if you if it's part of a healthy diet, you could make it work. But you yeah. also can't look at like broccoli and say that's a healthy piece of food. Yeah, I eat plenty of broccoli. I'm fat as hell. Uh, <laughs> With enough cheese, <laughs> given enough cheese and butter, broccoli is a delicious vegetable, and you know it's it's good. So. Just saying, Jim. Let's say it's uh, let's say you're um, designing a form, right? And you had a bunch of inputs on top of each other. That you have to have labels for semantically, obviously, but you just don't have room for the label, you know? Also say it's 2013. What kind of label pattern would you reach for, would you say, in order to solve this, you know, UX crisis that you're in? What would I reach for? And it's 2013? And I want to be trendy. I mean, you reach you reach for the floating label. The floating label pattern. That's right. Uh, I was just looking at old Jim Nielsen blog posts, in which you 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 weighed in. You weighed in on this controversy. I don't even know if it was a controversy. I think back then it was just applauded. It was just this is a this is the new way to do labels. Yeah, I try not to look back in my blog posts uh, any more than maybe a year. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe no six months. No shade on this one. I just think it's funny. This it just shows how long Jim's been around, kicking it on the web, sharing about how to how to do web design techniques and stuff. And I just came across this and thought it was funny. Everybody was, you know, uh, today you can find this article on Envato Toots or Web Design Tuts Plus or whatever it is. But back in the day, it was something else, wasn't it? It was like. I don't know. I had some different name before they all consolidated. It was definitely like, it was like the biggest blog around for blogging about patterns like this. I looked up to, I just remember because I was, you know, you were blogging then, I was blogging then. And then. Yeah, I used to, uh, that, that was that was a fun time. Um, I used to write for sites like that and they'd pay me money and nobody pays me to write on my blog now. So yeah, real I, step I don't down. Know why I, I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why I ended up writing on my blog. Instead of someone else's, but... Jeffrey Way used to run that site. Um, yeah. Anyway, blast to the past, blast to the past. Let's, mo- let's move all the way forward. Your uh, your name crossed my desk the other day. I mean, my podcast player. Because I was listening to the Postlight podcast. It was one of my favorites. And you pop on there with Mr. 
flare-up, or, or I don't know if I'm saying his, his, his name correctly, and I was like, what a weird world-crossing thing is happening to me right now. I really like this Postlight podcast. And then there's Jim, who I read his blog, and it's just part of the industry for a long time. And then this other random guy, which somebody referred me to to hire him to do an icon that I needed a couple years ago. It was like three very different places all smashed together into one podcast, and it was really cool. But it's because you and Michael put together a book of uh, iOS icons, of which I had no idea you did this, but your involvement is basically you had a blog that, like, documented iOS. Or is it specifically iOS? Or is it just any app icon? It, it started iOS. I've got macOS and watchOS now as separate and distinct uh sites but yes it's essentially iOS. a gallery right it's a gallery website mm-hmm. that just says like look at this sweet icon yeah i mean you probably heard it in the podcast but you know back in 2010 that was those were hot things the gallery websites you know mm-hmm. you could, uh, minimalist sti- galleries I, and i still miss like css uh <laughs> css gallery websites like i wish like i could i don't know i want my site to get on one and they don't. I think it's all product hunt now. I don't know. I'm not getting them anymore. So, but apparently everybody stopped doing them except for you, huh? Suckers. <laughs> yeah, suckers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I set that up way back in the day. I needed to create. Uh, uh, I needed to create an icon. It wasn't even an iOS native app, app icon. It was like a web icon. You know, the one that they put on the home screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just was like, I need some inspiration. And I couldn't find, I was like, surely there must exist a gallery of iOS app icons. I, you know, it'd been around for maybe three, four years by then. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't that I could find. So I was like, I could do that. And to be honest, it was the very first sort of real web project that I did. Like, it was like, okay, I need a domain. I don't actually have a domain yet. Uh, I've seen, you know, the Super Bowl commercial for GoDaddy. I think that's where you buy a domain. So I bought a domain and then it was like, now how do I actually, like, I know how to put files on an FTP server, but how do I actually put them on this thing so that when somebody types in iOSiconGallery.com, it resolves to these things that I've created. It was this whole learning Whoa. process for me. This is like your first-ish website. Yeah, it was like really the first-ish website. And I ended up using WordPress because I yeah. didn't know how else to you know, create a post day after day after day. That happened to me too. How did it become that for so many people? Like what is it about WordPress that makes it, gets into people's minds as like this thing they should attempt to – Learn because it's non trivial, man, with the MySQL database and all that. It seems weird, totally. Yeah, I, I know. And, and totally, to be honest, wasn't necessarily fit for what I was trying to do, which is I, you know, I open the post editor and it's like, here's a title and description. It's like, well, I'm not writing anything, I just need to put this image in there. And they had the featured image, you know, back in the day. I, I haven't used WordPress in a little while. No, Imagine but even that was there, a kind but... of a relatively new feature. No, you know, it's still there. It's still it's like the it's a way to attach like I don't know, for whatever reason this is a built-in feature. Um one image to the post, you know. You get this one opportunity to choose the graphic. Yeah, that does make sense in this case, right? Cuz your icon is That's the featured uh, image. That's the featured image. But there's nothing else to the post, so yeah, it was a whole learning process for me, figuring out how to get that all set up. And and I had like a friend who had a friend 
who ran a server like in his basement and that was ultimately the server that was running <gasps> WordPress. Wow. And I ended up getting, you know, some good traction. I was getting like thousands of page views a day and this guy's server went down for like a month and you you would just like go to this go to my website and there was nothing there. And I was like, okay, I need to like get this out of this guy's basement because he he was doing it for free. So it's not like I could complain and say, hey, I'm paying you money. Fix this fast. So uh, I learned a lot um, through that whole process about trying to build things on the web. Nice. And then clearly you have some spirit of longevity because the site exists today. It doesn't look like WordPress anymore. Like when you view source, it looks a little more handcrafted, perhaps. Is it true that you moved off of it? Yeah, I moved uh, I moved from WordPress to Jekyll so I could put it on GitHub pages and get hosting for free. Mm-hmm. Um, that was shoehorning for sure, uh, trying to get that into Jekyll. And then eventually it now runs on Metalsmith which is my favorite static site generator. It's one of the not so popular ones, but I really like it. Uh, interesting. It, yeah, it's, uh, I know exactly what you mean because I've never actually used it, but every time I like look up SSGs, it tends up to be like it's in the top 10 list, you know, but I actually don't know anybody that uses it. But now I do. And now you know. It's you. There's, a, there's five of us out there on the internet. Yeah. And so, and so like, let's just finish the book story. Michael is a, Actually, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've designed some icons too, but he, he may, his whole life is it designing icons, right? So why, how do you connect? You know, I kind of, I, I knew of Michael just because I've been collecting these icons and I try to attribute when, when I can find who the designer is, I try to, you know, link to them. And he was the most prolific person who kept showing up over and over again in, in all these icons that I was collecting. And so I knew who he was um, and he just, and I kind of always thought about doing a book because I was like, well, I got like, you know, 10 years worth of icons here. It'd be cool to print them in a book, but I had no idea. How do you print other people's intellectual property? And, yeah, you know, it's, that's a, how do you actually print? And anyway, Michael ends up emailing me and he has experience in this whole thing. He's run Kickstarter campaigns before and, and at least has more confidence than I do in figuring out the unknown. So he was like, hey, I want to make this book do you want to help? And I was just like, absolutely. I would love to. And uh, that's where we kind of started. I wouldn't even want to write one email like that. Like, Oh, Hey, can I please commercially profit from your icon or whatever? Not that I'm sure you found some nice way to, to say it and and that made it amicable for them or whatever, but that seems like a massive undertaking, right? Basically get (laughs) a signed PDF from a million designers. If, well, first you have to find them all and find a way to contact them. And oh, I found right. so many That's you know, even Twitters harder. that weren't active anymore and emails that bounced. And and then what and, do you do? But, is that one out? You can't use it? Cause yeah, basically, because we can't get permission. Right. Um, mm. Wow. I mean, I guess you could, but I guess you're, you know, you're running some kind of risk there. You can't just hotfix the book in production and remove the app. <laughs> icon from the book if somebody complains if, if there's any like if there's any like i guess positive side it's like i think anyone in their industry wants to be in a book as long as you're not like trashing them like if somebody's like hey i'm gonna put you in a book uh you just say yes so that's i would think most people do it yeah unless most they... people were excited there were there were a very few i could probably count them on one hand who to your point chris were kind of like yeah, I don't know how I feel about 
me giving you my thing and you profiting from it. And not that we really even set out to profit from it. We weren't even sure if we could like, you know, fund it enough to cover the cost. Uh, but it did really well on the Kickstarter. So, um, nice. So all those yeah. people got it as a perk or, you know, at least above some certain level or something. And then, and then presumably people can just also buy it or is that not the case? Yeah, you can just, I, I think, I, think we're working <laughs> I, I, I know Michael's also heard for, because the Kickstarter did so well, I think he's also heard from a couple, you know, like actual publishers who are interested, oh, possibly wow. interested in, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that, whatever that business scenario looks like. Yeah, that's, that's tricky. You have all the leverage at this point with the with the kind of the final product already being awesome, you know. So don't yeah. don't take any flack, man. <laughs> you got this. Yeah. Thing. Uh, all right. Okay. That's great. Congrats on all that. Um, highly Googleable the 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 iOS app icon book. Do you do you see yourself as like an archivist? I I, I feel like that's a term. You know, I collect a lot of junk, and it all sits on this bookshelf. And it's not organized. Do you consider yourself like an archivist, somebody who collects and hoards, but in an organized fashion? Um, if you're talking about in my personal life, I, yeah, uh, we can go there. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably not. I'm always like, just get rid of it. Just get rid of all this stuff. Don't need it. But A when purger. it comes to okay, okay, when it comes to certain digital things, and for whatever reason, I have you know an affinity for iOS app icons. Um, I very much love to hoard them, collect them. And, uh, I, you know, the, over the years I've amassed so many, I think there's like 1300 now in my iOS Mm. collection that starting to actually see, you know, patterns and and connections between all of the app icons and the designers and all that. But I do really love hoarding them. And I'm always thinking about, um, What's going to happen with these in 50 years? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're making the book, which is an, uh, you know, a great effort at trying to archive what app icons looked like in the early 2000s. But ultimately, you know, I'm not going to hold the domain forever unless I tell my kid, hand it to him down in a will and tell him to keep running the site or whatever. Like, I don't know what happens in that scenario. Yeah, son, it's a website. You have to maintain it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my blog too. Keep that running. Keep that um, running. Here's $8 a month. So, yeah. yeah. There is something to the, the the archivalness of static files. Is, I feel like databases are kind of great and usually the right answer for a lot of things, except maybe longevity. I mean, I think the chances of a site right now that's powered by MySQL existing in 10 years is way, way lower than a file that is just some files that could like be in an S3 bucket or something, you know? I have like three blog posts sitting there in my drafts on this specific topic Mm. about, you know, uh, files basically became APIs, right? And none of us have, like, I have a bunch of Photoshop files, right? From like 2010 that fortunately, thanks to Adobe, I can still open in modern Photoshop. And I can see these weird things that I made, and it's fun. But in another ten years, will I be open to be able to open something in Figma? Like it's a web app. There's no file. 
it's this kind of proprietary thing. If Figma end up ends up, you know, going out of business, what happens then? And it's not, you know, it's not an application you download and you could emulate if you had an old computer, like you could maybe with Photoshop. So what happens to all that stuff? I don't know. I, I'm, I love the file. Yeah, it's interesting. There is no dot Figma format. Like you, there is just, there just isn't. If you're going to export something from Figma, it ends up as flattened. And then like when you get in the Figma API, it's just a bunch of layers with XY coordinates and stuff. <laughs> like it's yeah, just well, kind of wild. Whereas Sketch is so similar in spirit, does have it, it does have a file format. And then is that a competitive advantage or disadvantage? Ooh. I wonder if JSON is it is it JSON the the ubiquitous web file format? Like as long as I can get a JSON of my Figma, does it work? Didn't even Sketch say they're gonna move to a JSON-like format in there, like a less proprietary thing, kind of on purpose. Possibly, wow. yeah, yeah. I think they did. It, it, it's a it's an interesting topic. You know, you have really commonly used file formats that have a really robust ecosystems around them that enable all these different kinds of software. You know, you don't have to have any single tool um, to solve these different problems because they all work on the same kind of file format. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I don't know. This is a really interesting subject to me. It's two-sided in that, like, let's say you had a Gatsby site and no shade to Gatsby. I'm literally speaking at Gatsby Conf coming up pretty soon here or whatever. But that's like the output of that could be just a bunch of static files, which I just said will have good longevity and I believe. But it requires a build process to run that will also age out probably. Like, there's a decent chance, and like, no, there's a hundred percent chance. I'd be willing to say that in 10 years, if you haven't spun that sucker up, if you go to whatever laptop you have a decade from now and type yarn run install or whatever, <laughs> NVM run dev, is it gonna just go boop and work? It's not gonna. I can barely get that to happen for something from last week. <laughs> I know, right? So, that it's not gonna like gonna be impossible, but. So the site might have great longevity and the build process not, you know? Interesting. I'm going to make a reminder in our calendar for this, February mm-hmm. 27th, 2032. <laughs> uh, Gatsby. Hey, Siri. Uh, there we go. There might be some path to, to get it there. I'm just saying your machine ain't going to be ready for it. It ain't going to be. Oh, man, I'm already busy on February 27th, <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I got lots of crap. Oh, God. Okay. Isn't that a wet, hot American summer joke where they're like sitting on there like, you guys in 10 years, like, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not, let's all meet up here again. They're like, what time though? Because <laughs> I got a thing in the morning that day. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Memberful. That's memberful.com. Link in the show notes, of course. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience used by some of the biggest creators on the web. I love that it's totally dedicated to this proven great business model, which is have a business that has members that pay you to be members for, and then give them something of value. You know, it could be a podcast like this one. You could make a paid podcast. Why not? Uh, You could be a paid newsletter. It could be educational content. It could be, you know, you're a comic book creator. Anything you can think of where you can provide value for members, Memberful is there to do it for you. It handles all the hard stuff, like 
taking money and doing the recurring revenue and all that stuff, allowing you to focus on what you do best, which is definitely the right way to run a business. So if you're looking to add membership to your business that you have already, this is the perfect technology for that. You can launch a new revenue stream. You already have the business. Add a new revenue stream. Get your brain thinking in that way. So great. It integrates with the tools you might be already use. You know, I'm kind of a WordPress guy. A lot of times Memberful works with that. Works with Discord. Works with MailChimp. So great. It is a, you know, it's like a, a literal technology here. I mean, if you're a, a, a big time developer like me, come on. They have a full featured GraphQL API. They have webhooks. They have OAuth, all that fancy stuff. And then you are off offering that to your users so they can log in and get access to the stuff they know they need to get access for. There is this and so much more. I mean, it's really modern tech, you know? You want to make sure it's really easy to sign up because so you offer like Apple Pay, they got that. You know, it's just very modern, very cool. Get started for free. You don't even need a credit card. And on over to memberful.com. Thanks so much for the support. So cool. Jim, you had a post about your mom the other day, which was which is a good one that I, I enjoyed reading because it was so, you know, it was just a personal story, but also a really important story that relates to how people think about the web today. So it ended up being like a big one in my brain for a little while. And it was just about this idea that a lot of us think about browsers as being evergreen and even... Yeah, like think about is the right term, right? Or I'm like, well, you know, it's Chrome, so it's just fine. You know, like I don't really think about Chrome version numbers anymore. That has somehow evaporated from my mind. I might think about them as like, oh, cool, Chrome 103 shipped and it's got container queries now or whatever. Uh, that's f theoretical and future, by the way, people. Um, but I don't, I'm not thinking of like, ooh, I better watch it. I better watch this API because like in your blog post, Chrome 76 literally did have a non-support of a particularly important feature. So browsers that you think might be evergreen aren't, isn't that the case? And not necessarily anyway. Yeah, that was kind of the impetus for that post. I I think, I mean, in hindsight, it, it, it almost seems a little ridiculous that I thought this, but um, I just always thought Chrome equals you're on the most modern thing, right? And it's evergreen. Yeah, as and, long as you've restarted it in the last week, week or whatever. And so when I was troubleshooting this problem for my mom, you know, I thought, well, I mean, she has an iPad. That's a pretty modern piece of com computing, right? That's probably fine. And Well, I'll check on the computer because she said it was also a problem there. And they're running Chrome and same problem. So it was like, hmm, that's weird. So then I pulled it up on my brother's laptop and my phone and it worked fine and it was like hmm so where's this problem coming from and then it kind of fell back to well things are working on some computers but not others and some browsers but not others i guess maybe i'll start looking into i knew that safari had you know there was this age out problem with older ipad or ios devices that would age out and you'd get stuck on a certain version of safari mm -hmm. and like that maybe that's the problem and then i thought well i guess i should at least check what version of chrome it is and i saw 76 and i was like i know we're on 90 something so this is way behind and i hit the update button and it just said all up to date 
And so then I was like, oh, it must be that this piece of hardware that's running Chrome OS is can't update to the newest Chrome OS because it's just too old. And wow. that was like a, yeah, it was a kind of a turning point in my head of like, there's, there's just because it's Chrome doesn't mean it's going to be the most modern thing. Um, I think Eric Bailey in his post in on CSS tricks just recently used the term dead evergreen, which I really liked um, because I, that feels like the new generation of, it used to always be, Oh, you've got the modern browsers, Firefox, Chrome, Safari, and then that old Internet Explorer, right? And so it was like, uh, if I'm good in the other ones, I don't, I don't have to worry about IE. And now it feels like we're moving into this new generation of like browser matrix support in your head, which is no longer just, is it Chrome? Is it Firefox? You're okay. It's what hardware are you on and what version of Chrome are you on? Uh, because you might, it might not be so evergreen. So is the is a way to think about it to not think about it to is just to be like I'm not going to think about versions I'm going to I'm going to just admit to my brain that it's possible that any feature I use just might not work. That would be a very robust way of of building for the web. <laughs> How are you going to pull that off? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, not any feature, but in this case, what it boiled down to was a single character, which is hilarious, an optional chaining thing, meaning like you said, object question mark dot property of object. And some developer just slugged that in there because it's being, you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> we should go on a, on a rabbit hole of talking about optional chaining probably, but but it's it's just like a almost like a cop out on the front end. Like, oh, I I really 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 don't want this line of code to to hard bomb. So I'm gonna allow it to be null if it is. That's funny. I never really thought of the irony there. Of I really don't want this site to hard bomb, so I'm gonna use the optional chaining, and that's actually that's what made what it hard bomb. <laughs> yeah, there is an irony there, isn't there? That's great. Not great. I mean, it's not great. <laughs> That, I, th- I would have thought you would have thought it would be the firewall first because I'm like, well, I'm at my mom's, and if it if it the if, if it might be her network, you know. Well, that's why I was on my brother's laptop, which was the same network, and it worked fine. Oh, you mm. yeah, you troubleshooting and though. and it didn't, and you it um the sad part was is it it flamed out the the entire site right like nothing rendered. It wasn't that like the site rendered fine. You just couldn't click this button and do anything. It was like nothing loaded at all that's wild i mean that's i mean was it a single page app i i gotta assume right like some kind of single page app or just yeah yeah that's wild i because i know like i've heard of like galaxy like samsung browser or whatever is a few versions behind like they don't go to the latest chrome um just because i guess they depend on it internally or something but um I hadn't ever considered like Chrome OS just being like nope. So, like yeah, I I hadn't either, and and I learned afterwards because my blog post ended up on Hacker News with tons of comments, which I tried not to read all of them, but um, <laughs> some of them were actually quite instructive. What the Apparently author this... doesn't understand <laughs> is a computer is a, a rock that can think. <laughs> It, it was quite instructive, though, in some ways, because I found out that I've, apparently Google knows this is a problem. They're trying to divorce 
Chrome the browser from Chrome the OS so that they can actually still update the browser, even if the OS is still really old. Mm-hmm. And it's a thing that they're like actively working on. I had no idea, you know, I kind of all found this and all out. And the people from Apple reached out too and also. <laughs> yeah, I got an email from Tim. Um, yeah. He said he would personally handle my case. He's so. going to cook up a solution, he said. <laughs> So if Samsung is never up to date, would we can we say never green? Is that Ooh. <laughs> that? Coined uh, here first. <laughs> Cause I I maybe a can I use will tell me what version it's on. It's always a fun little battle at CodePen, just to, to rabbit hole it for a second about the optional chaining, because on the front end some of us are like, I'm gonna slap some optional chaining on this bad boy because it saves a little it saves a little boilerplate at the top of some components, you know, because otherwise you might have to write like some some triple equals null stuff and return return null possibly to not try to render the component and yeah just let it be null you know but on you know the back end people are like no that's papering over a data problem and that if you're having this problem the problem is the data and we should fix the data Mm, it's just interesting i you know now i was like struggling with view templates because in the view like JavaScript code, you can optional chain all you want, but in the template code, like a VF, you can't optional chain. Uh, mm. And I was getting frustrated, and then I was like, I'm going to install a new Babel plugin to f- add this to my templates. And then now, now I have Jim's floating head in my code editor that every time I optional chain, he says, this doesn't work in my mom's not, computer. Not, 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 not. Well, if, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're using Babel, right, you can transpile back and totally, I don't know, totally. get everything to work. What do you pay for that, though? Remember, Dave, one time you, you, you had a blog post that was like, I just, I babbled my way out of one tiny little thing and it, it like 4X'd the size of the compiled thing. Yeah, I was thing. using 4, uh, which, what's the cool new one? 4 of or 4 in? They're four, both cool. Those are both in cool. Whichever one's the newest one, because one's like really old, like I oh. Four old, but um, four of loops, yeah. And I just was like, okay, this is fine. But then I noticed, like, everyone I typed, like the 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 bundle size got bigger, like by a kilobyte. And I just was like, what's going on? Whoa! So it was it just, polyfills each one. Each one has to be kind of like its <laughs> own symbol iterator. Because I I had another problem. I was like, I didn't have the symbol iterator polyfill, and I was like. Well, of course, I'm a big dummy because I didn't bring that one, you know, but I needed that one. And then I was looking at the code and it like creates this. It's like 700 bytes. It's not a big deal. But like when you have 30 of them in your code base now, you know, like 30 kilobytes of your code is four of loops, you know, like. And yeah, just made me curious. What do you think you pay for an optional chaining? There's always some irony that it's more code. You have to send more JavaScript to the older browsers. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, they it's pay, like, d- pay doubly. I'm going to use Newsprint, so uh, yours is going to be way, get real worse real quick. So, But maybe that, I don't, there's a degree. Where do you draw the line, Jim? Like, Where's like on future versus backwards? Where Do you have uh, new thoughts on that now? I, I hate to say it, it depends, but... I, I guess, you know, it really, you know, who's the site for? Who's going to be using it? And ultimately, like, how are you building it? Are you building it in such a way that if the optional chaining's there and that JavaScript throws an error, it's okay? Like, the basic functionality of the page will still work and people can still access 
the information and do what they want to do, like that would be okay, right? I think I do that on on my icon gallery site. And one of my web pages I do that where I use some modern, you know, EX7, whatever whatever that is. And uh and it's like it's okay if it doesn't work because um it it doesn't have to for the page for people to really be able to access what they need. The sad part for me is like with my mom when this is a site where she was using it to volunteer for like some community service. And now she can't go volunteer because the webpage doesn't work. Yeah. And like, she can't call the coordinator. I guess she could, but then she's that person, but the, <laughs> but like call the coordinator and be like, the website didn't, is it working? And then now they have to like, that's the thing. She can't, she can't even call the coordinator cause she can't access the phone number on the website. Oh, so, whoa. There you go. Yeah. That's like when you ship some code that breaks your deployment process, you're like, but I can't deploy the fix. Damn it. That's what In happened there? to Facebook. Wasn't it? When they were down for like a dang near a day, somebody broke the way to fix it. <laughs> Woof. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, it's, Totally not the same, but this week I was like, I, I npm installed something and I got the like you have ten thousand security problems and I was like okay yeah well I'll fix it uh, I I just was like let me just go turn on Dependabot and see what happens you yeah know, just like yeah. see how bad I got it you know and I turned on Dependabot and then it started like filing pull requests and I was like oh crud yeah <laughs> like, man immediately I got like thirty pull requests. And I was like, okay, okay, let's like go through these. Like, okay, this upgrade, minor, minor, minor. And then it was like SAS six to seven. Okay, yeah, sure. Like, uh, this, people who do SAS are probably smart. Boom! Just, just everything exploded. Yeah, there was a little API change in SAS that probably got you. But then I didn't find out the sites crashed until like 15 minutes later after Ooh. the Docker's built and deployed and like, you know, and then like everything's down. And I was like, wait a minute, stop, back it up, hold on. I was trying so, to help. I tried to do a security and then it blew up. So the silver lining there is that your project all of a sudden had a bunch of a flurry of activity on it. So it looks like, you know, you've been really active. Dude, yeah, you got some serious green dots for that work. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I'm, I, I, you know, representatives from large companies reached out to me after they saw that surge in green dots. And, um, you know, yeah. so it's just sure an acquisition did. underway. Yeah, yeah. Big green dot traffic. They, so that's what they value, green dots. <laughs> it sadly is sometimes, isn't it? This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Netlify. Here we are in 2022. Welcome to January 2022. A new year, a fresh start. We're going to be seeing lots of blog posts, making predictions about the new year. I bet a lot of those predictions are going to involve Jamstack in some way. And Netlify is the home for your Jamstack site. I like how Jamstack has come to mean static and more. It comes to mean split your services amongst people that do those services the best. Use the best search company there is. Store your data in the most flexible place you can store it. Build your front end however you want to build your front end. Statically generate as much as you can of your front end. That's what Jamstack has come to mean and I love it. It's such a cool thing and Netlify's support and growth in that world has just been unprecedented really. They have changed the game for web developers worldwide and we're so 
lucky to have them as a sponsor and grateful. Uh, uh, it's just going to be awesome. I have so many sites I can barely count anymore on Netlify. If we're going to spin up something new, I love the idea of, you know, picking a framework, exploring what's out there in terms of static site generators and JavaScript frameworks, and just knowing that Netlify is probably way ahead of me and <laughs> it's going to work great on Netlify. And I have never been wrong about that. So again, thanks for the support, Netlify. Uh, what else do you want to talk about? We could we could just like throw a dart at a at blog .jim dash solid choice I must say Jim Nielsen .com. Uh, I think I actually I think I actually pinged you on Twitter once and was like, do you ever regret putting a hyphen in CSS tricks? Never, because I regret uh, the hyphen in mine. It, Jim Nielsen was already taken by some guy and he wouldn't give it to me and I. Couldn't think of a better name. Oh, seriously, if you just remove the dash, it's just some other dude's website. <laughs> I, I don't even know if it's if it's yeah. If he has anything there. See, the fact that you don't know says it all to me, you know? That like who cares then? It doesn't come up. Right? It doesn't affect your Googles. It doesn't, it doesn't I just I hate I hate you just, it's don't just a like personal it. thing. I hate typing that hyphen. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? No, you don't know what I mean. I no, I grabbed Dave Rupert all really I think hey, you know, you can pay you can buy the the unhyphenated thing later. It's just costs a lot of money. So, so. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I've been tempted to buy, you know, maybe like Jim Neal since that ended up being my social profile mm. everywhere else. Mm -hmm. But then I have to my other domain has already been on the web for like 10 years. So it's like, well, I'm just going to have to keep it and do redirects. So now I'm just paying twice the amount of money. And for what? Like, I guess ultimately I could get rid of it, but. Ah, you leave the five. What is it? A five oh? What's the redirect one? Three oh one? You just leave it up for like a year and then you can kill it. You don't have to do it forever. Oh, you kind of do have to do it forever, you right? Because other people's all links those, and stuff. Yeah, all those links out there. Hmm. Link Plus, it, you know, Jeremy would come knock on my door. I feel like yeah, it. Jeremy come very, very nicely, very politely though. He would tell you you've destroyed the entire internet. So <laughs> I like that, it, that everybody knows. Everybody knows what you're about to say when you say cool URLs. <laughs> That's pretty impressive, yeah. right? That's like, it's also it's it's like shorthand for this exact thing. I'm not even going to tell people what it is. If you don't know, then I'm sorry. You're just not in the cool URLs club. I'm going to, maybe mine is cool subdomains. <laughs> and then just stop. Don't charge you $25 a year. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it, right? Yeah, subdomains are great. So I'm good. a big believer in subdomains. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm going to stand there. URLs for... are free. You need one and the, everything else is a subdomain. Um, so question, 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 question. You think a lot about the web, Jim. You, you blog prolifically. We've talked about your blog. It's the best blog. What are you interested in at the moment? What, what is kind of occupying the majority of your thoughts? Or like, I guess you have a lot of like book posts, obviously, because you're writing book. But I guess what are you thinking about in, uh, in the web uh, from like the kind of high level that you tend to think about it? Um, good question. I should probably glance at my drafts folder uh, to see what is really in there. What is it? Is it literally on your file system 
and it's a folder named drafts with stuff in it. Dot md. Is that how you blog? Or is like it, Dave? Or is... It is actually. I, I was actually really enjoying uh, Dave's soliloquy or whatever you want to call it on a recent episode where you were talking about the VS Code editor for blogging people, mm-hmm. which I'm still trying to find that perfect. Uh, I use so I use IA Writer, which mm. is very nice. Yes, to draft everything, so everything gets drafted up there. Mm-hmm. And so I have, it's a really uh, primitive naming system, which is I put a one in front of it, so it sorts everything alphabetically and it puts it at the top. If it's like that's the post I want to write next, mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, all the way Ooh, down. Yeah. So that's how I organize. Uh, the sort of immediacy of how much I have an idea that I want to write on. And uh, I write it out and then I, it ends up in a, once I get it complete, I move it over to my, my Git folder and then push it up to my blog. Yeah. That's basically my workflow. And, and Metalsmith takes over. And, and Metalsmith takes over. Nice. Good old Metalsmith. And then the Netlify deployment notifier that you built, the native one, then yes. tells you if it deployed. I, I, I do have that too. I'm still trying to figure out that right the images part of my blog posts. I have a workflow right now. Yeah, I was going to say IA Writer doesn't do images, right? So you you do that the last second. So I, I have my I have my little Netlify public folder in the spirit of Dropbox public folder, Ooh, where nice. I just drag the image into that. It syncs to Netlify and puts it on a CDN, and then I have a URL, and that's the URL I reference in my Markdown post. Whoa. So presumably if I'm on my laptop or on my phone and I have the post up, it will actually, the image will display in line because it's linking to a live image on a, on a CDN. So when I publish, it just, I don't have to actually change anything about the URL for the image. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it's a little weird, but it doesn't render, like, do you have a local build and it doesn't render there? Uh, the local build just points to the same image out on the. So if I was disconnected from the internet, yeah. No images. Yeah, there's yeah. no relative file path or whatever. No. Uh, interesting. Yeah, everybody's image. Image. I just was uh, working on a talk and I put an image workflow in there that's just super duper different than that, uh, which is okay. I think it's interesting to to hear about how people do their images because it's weird. It is weird, and yeah, mine are all in the thing. And it's not good. It's it's causing performance bottlenecks, to say the least. Oh, you throw them in, in your repo? Yeah, I'd like to do what Jim's doing. This, like, I don't know, Netlify. So it's just like a folder. So you have a you have a Git LFS project, right? You drop an image in there, sync it up, and then Netlify does it? Is that kind it's of? It's actually not even a Git LFS. It's a... It, <laughs> Okay. There's it's no Git a, at all, right? It's just it, it, deployed. Yeah, it is a Dropbox folder. So it's actually backed up in Dropbox. So for something were to happen to the folder, it's in my Dropbox account. Okay. But then I have, it, it essentially uses the Netlify CLI in okay. the background. So it looks at that Dropbox folder and syncs it to Netlify. Oh, to a, okay. To a site on Netlify, which then gives it a URL. And then everything that's in that folder is just the, my domain is slash and then whatever the structure of that folder is. It's oh, a good way okay. to do it because if you ha- if you if that stopped working or you didn't like it anymore or something, they're all at the same like folder level, right? Like you could pick all those up and put them in an S three bucket and run a find replace on the domain and yeah, and you'd be fine. Yep. 
Yeah. Which is exactly why I didn't want to do the LFS thing because it's more involved. That's like now I'm handing over a little bit more of control to Netlify and it's harder to break away from them if I ever want to, you know, right. change. And they do like, cause with the LFS on Netlify specifically, you get these, like you get like query perimeters for like height width or whatever to make kind of responsive images or, well, that's nice. And, actually, uh, you'd be I giving think it'll that even, up. It'll even do whatever WebP and, um, that sort of stuff too, if I recall correctly. I'm, I, it doesn't do WebP yet. I have okay. an open, uh, open thread in the community forum if you want to go upvote it asking for webp or is it avif avif yeah I don't know how people say it um that would be really nice it'll, so it'll do it on the regular cdn like uh, on your because you're not using lfs yeah like the oh, same really? way you would just drag a website folder to netlify to deploy it it's the same thing except it's just images <laughs> instead of html and css and, i think they should do it and i say that because we have this screenshot service at CodePen that we w- mm-hmm. wired up. And it's not to underplay that because there's some interesting tech and, you know, very smart people were involved with putting it together. But, like, we do that. We make advanced versions of it and then decide on the fly which version to serve to the browser. It's like we're not a media host, but we yeah. pulled it off. So, like, if you're a media host, you should definitely pull it off, please. How do you do your syntax highlighting is it on the build or does it do a client side um it's on the build i've kind of always wondered it, is it better to do it on the client or in the build no I mean, it's way better in the build because otherwise there's like a fout to it it's like oh it loads and it's all black and then bleh, there the colors come in you know it doesn't like reflow it's not that bad but i always found that a little annoying not to mention you're shipping a probably 50k ish library to the client yeah, that makes sense. I think for me, it was mostly, and this is probably, nobody cares about this except for my brain. Like that raw HTML that you first get over the serv- uh, and on your initial request, mm-hmm. when it comes back, if nothing else loaded and you were just reading the HTML, it reads much better because it's, it, it's a code oh. block inside of some pre-tags, right? And that's it. Whereas if you do it on the server, all of those, every single one of those characters of code is wrapped in like a span tag with hmm. some class highlighting or Can't whatever. Can't there be some, maybe they should be like, isn't there some aria something you could put on the span that's like, aria, ignore me, please. <laughs> don't hide me, but don't, don't like make me do a pause or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's that's, that's a good thought. Possibly, possibly. Just a thought. We're just mouth blogging here. Well, I'm kind of, I, I have to ask you how you do one of the things going back to images that i still struggle with is uh and i've got another blog post around this specific topic but the image tag is getting it's getting beefy you know it's not just source with height and alt and you're done there's source set and all kinds of elaborate declarative you know descriptions you can add for all the different kinds of images that one could serve and i always like when i create a blog post i just screenshot it on my retina display and pop it up optimize it and put the width and height is half that um just so retina screens you know display it just fine and it comes with those values but i'm doing it all by hand so there's no like server that's injecting the optimal image tag markup 
for everything that I do. What do you guys do? I'd say you're not, you know, like, I think the workflow really matters a lot here. And that if you try to do too much and you grow to hate it, that that's doing a disservice to you and your blog. And that I'd rather have unoptimal, slightly performance than over-engineer something. That said, there is a lot more you can do, you know. Like, you should at least chuck lazy loading on these you know, you might as well just do that if you have some kind of build. You know, I noticed that's not on there, and that's just like free performance. You know, and there's a couple other ones that are like decoding async and stuff. You just get like little micro performance just based on an attribute or whatever. I personally draw the line at at the having to use the picture tag in which to serve different formats of images myself. I think. That sucks. Although I'm sure plenty of people do that, but I would rather have the server have that job. And that even though you have a .png extension, for example, the browser doesn't care about that, that this whatever server you're using serves it in an AVIF if the, if the browser supports AVIF or supports, sends it in WebP if it sends it in WebP. And you can outsource that, you know. You could, for example, real quick sign up for a Cloudinary account or an ImageX account or something and then drop that URL in front of cdn.jimnielsen.com and have it pull your canonical one but give you that ability, you know? And it would be really easy to remove because it's just like a URL prefix, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So you'd get that for free and it would be like their very image-forward CDN abilities, like I'm sure your CDN is fine. It's just Netlify or whatever. But one that's li- literally built for images might be a smidge better, you know? Yeah, and I can't just on the fly decide, you know, I want that PNG that I originally cut to be WebP now. Yeah, yeah, which you could with these. But even better right. is just serve, serve, serve it as whatever you want. Cloudinary calls it F-Auto, you know? Then they have Q-Auto too, which means optimize it, but just use super science to optimize it right which i appreciate them doing but then another thing they can do is like give me give me the 1200 the 600 and the 300 and i will take the time to make a source set syntax of those 3 and drop them in there and throw a sizes attribute in there too that way that, that to me that's like a good middle ground with the source set syntax and all that you know that's something that you you kind of you don't get from just image source i just uh, put it in squish and set the width to 1200 and call it a day. And, and <laughs> I sort of regret that now that I have a 4K display. So <laughs> So there you go. So are you are you changing your behavior? Uh no. I thought <laughs> about it but I just was like 1200 uh, is a good number so we're probably just going to keep it. Um uh I do have a Figma now and I kind of make assets in there or try to occasionally so that's kind of been good for like standard asset sizes and stuff. So whatever, Twitter cards and stuff, they want to be like 1280 and all that stuff. So that right. doesn't, I have my squoosh set to 1200. So, uh, and I thought, but you know, I, I have a con column of text, you know, a 1200 pixel wide column of text is that's yeah. probably gonna, yeah. uh, that'll, that'll age fine unless you <laughs> zoomed in and then it's going to look like garbage. So, I'm telling you, man, what an image CDN buys you for low, for low, you know, technical debt is a lot. 
a lot. I agree. I should do it. I the, I always get tripped up because they're like price it in florps, you know, and it's like yeah, you got seventeen florps per credit. Um, yeah. Good luck, and so plus for me, I mean, you know, I just throw them on Netlify, and I'm on the free tier, so. Yeah, freeze. It's like freeze I can pay nothing. Deal. Yeah, uh, or I can pay something. I guess I'll pay nothing. C- can I? Let's we'll switch gears back to back to November. Hope so. Sorry, this is too too far back. <laughs> I know you only think about blog posts that are a month old or newer. I've been, you know, we've been talking about color a bunch. I did a whole code bin radio about color the other day, but it's freaking fascinating to me. And you wrote about the if we just scope it down to the relative color syntax, that clearly excited you at one point too. So. <laughs> or are you? Or do you think it's weird? I, I love it. I've found myself so often wanting to sort of dynamically manipulate colors. Um, I, I love that about SAS. You know, you have the desaturate and saturate, lighten, darken, hue, all that. And, um, you know, the ability to now do that in JavaScript, or sorry, in CSS being able to it's break down syntax. the component pieces of the colors. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind the syntax. Uh, it's it's kind of you know it's that it's that kind of like destructuring you have in JavaScript, and now it's like oh I can I can pass it even a named color like green, and it and then destructure it into HSL values or 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 RGB values or whatever, and I, I find that so fascinating and powerful in CSS, and I'm I'm personally very excited about it. Yeah, I agree. It's really, it's really, the, I think it's one of those really quick ones where the first time you see the syntax, you're like, whoa, weird, no. And then like the second time you're like, oh, I get it. That's actually awesome, you know, how it just kind of breaks it into the chunks, you know. So if we're talking about the HSL function and <clears throat> in the first word parameter that you pass it is the literally the word from, you have to do that. Then the very next parameter is whatever color it is, and it can be anything, like Jim was saying. Even the even just the word green is fine. Then the next ones after that are literally the letters HSNL, which if, uh, if that's all you put there was, it would just return HSNL and, and be fine. But what it's saying is, this is your big opportunity, people, to change HSNL, meaning you could just replace it. You could just put a number there instead of H or something, or you can manipulate it with calc, or you can, you know, combine it. There's all kinds of, it's just giving you this opportunity to mess with those values if you want to, which is so clever. And then crucially to me that you can pop a a, a, a transparency at the end too, if you want to. So if it was just that alone, I would think it would be worth it to me. Meaning, like, I already have this color. It's already a custom property set somewhere else, maybe even by a different team or something. But I want to use it as a drop shadow, and I don't want it to be full blast. I want it to be 25% blast. That's my opportunity to do that. And that just rings true to these years. And you were blogging about this way back, man. Yeah, I got the idea from... Well, I got the idea from reading something Dave wrote where he casually mentioned it as if it had always existed. And I was like, wait, what is this thing? <laughs> no, that, I mean, yeah, it's, I, what's, I think what gets me is it's only in Safari TP right now. So it's like, this is like a very, very cool feature. <laughs> and so now we just have to wait for it to either like go live in Safari to uh, like to leverage it, you know, but then 
Like this is one of those features where you can't like you can't base your whole design system <laughs> on these uh like polyfilled values or whatever maybe um cuz this is doing that sort of CSS variable thing where it's probably not going to like polyfill very well, you know. So um I don't know. Maybe maybe it does. Maybe it's fine. Maybe somebody posted this. I actually looked into that, enough. yeah. I'd be curious. But. I'm excited, but like you, yeah, my my excitement is tempered by the fact that it's going to be a while before I can really use this in a meaningful way. Well, especially because we just got done talking about how browsers aren't always exactly evergreen <laughs> and all that stuff. But let's say let's say they were or something like this time next year. Do you think we'll be just like maybe not just rocking it, but it'll be much bigger part of our brains because it's just more around. <laughs> At least it's not just Safari. I don't know. I don't know. Do you think a year is enough? I feel like I kind of do. I haven't seen anyone else planning to Chrome or Firefox. But they tend Chrome. to just like arrive. I don't know. They do. Chrome is being kind of safari about their whole color four stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, rude. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, like, like I've heard Chrome folks say like oh yeah color four is like on on the way but it's just not maybe there's some other thing they have to refactor first or something like that but then you know but you know it's not here so yeah but they won't tell you when it's going to happen or what like what release or whatever so i'm waiting that's true look at look at our excitement i i am i am Reminded of a Brian Cardell post called Unlocking Colors, though, and he says at the bottom of the blog post, he says, I'll just read it. To recap this blog post, we have two new color-related functions, and I think he's talking about lab and LCH in this case, but they're started to be all lumped together with a bunch of new abilities that CSS Color has. It says we have two new color-related functions which are not controversial, are quite mature and widely used color standards, are important for accessibility, are important for design systems, make all of design system-related work much more attractive are actually some of the easiest things that we can implement in CSS and last bullet point just aren't getting done <laughs> which I felt, <laughs> felt like was like a damning thing about this you know like that's what makes me feel like at some point we'll just get them because they're not you don't have to reinvent how browsers work or something like container queries it's like at some point somebody can kind of just pick up this Jira ticket and do it Chris you wrote recently about colors all the new the new colors that are coming got lab and lch and and the whole non-rgb thing and and all of that and i've been thinking and we've kind of touched also on how um complex i guess maybe is the word the image tag is becoming Mm -hmm. and i'm kind of i've been thinking about this idea of how, you know, yeah, it's easy to complain. Ah, web development was so much easier a decade ago. And I and I I feel like maybe one of the reasons that gets said, and I feel it sometimes, is it feels like there was kind of one way of doing things. And it was pretty constrained. And that made what you could do pretty constrained, but it made it easier in some ways. Mm. And now there's whole different color models. There's, you know, when I want to do a color, should I do a named color? Should I do a hex color, RGB, HSL, LCH, lab? Like there's all the other ones. And now they're already onto 
there's like lab two now or LCH two or something. Well, okay. Lab and okay. LCH. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. I've heard they're just okay. <laughs> oh, somebody had to do it. Woo. All right. Move on. Yeah, you're right. That's an, that's like 10 ish. <laughs> yeah. To... So it's like, okay, I needed, I need to put a color on there. Which color should I choose? I don't know. Like I need to put an image on there. Should I use picture? Should I use figure? Should I wrap those? Should I wrap? Uh, I guess I'll just do image. Like, which attributes do I need? Like, it's all becoming. There's a lot there, right? And they're solving lots of different problems. And I get that, but it kind of feels like I don't know. You feel like maybe that's one of the reasons why it feels like it was easier is there was kind of just one sort yeah, of that's paved fair. path for doing things. And I think so. I think that's not that's a fair thing to say. I mean, the counter argument could be that like you don't have to use any of it. It's all additive. So if you just kept, if you just didn't choose to use anything new, that the web isn't going to like penalize you for that necessarily. It still behaves exactly as it would before. But, you know, the system is getting more complex though. And the ability to teach the system and to, you know, do web searches and find the right answers is going to get harder and stuff. So it's definitely a a two-stop thing. Yeah, <laughs> this color stuff is a good example of that. It's easy to just champion it, but what are the costs? I I understand that point, but what do you think about like beginners who are coming on where it's like, okay, where do I start with colors? I need to figure out how to do a color. Where do I start? Do I start with what they've with the web first use hex colors? Do I start with RGB? Do I start with the new gamut? Like, where do I start? Where do I even start? Hopefully it's just not, hopefully it's just fine. You know, <laughs> like, a, like you're going to find, you're going to like stumble across some answer to it and just roll with that. And it won't be the end of the world. You know, I, I, I take the point. I'm not trying to necessarily argue against you. I'm just hoping that it's not a disaster. And I, I also think the fact that these colors formats unlock new colors that it was mathematically impossible to represent the type of colors that monitors can display using the old math system it just had to change like that sucks and all but like it you can't just be like oh well let's just not ever have the colors that monitors are capable of displaying that's like untenable right so gotta do something i mean that's what i always loved about you chris is your practicality just just build websites. That's all. <laughs> True, but I mean, that's Dave. I probably invented it. All good ideas no. come from Dave. I think there's. Uh, I think. It, I think it's actually a testament to like the web. Like, a its ability to like respond very slowly, uh, but respond to you know new monitors, new displays, new like um, HDR profiles in your your actual hardware um and it's able to kind of adapt itself and kind of create a future pathway um so i think that's cool i don't know where what it'll be i you know there's such there's a big pile of education right that's all rgb you know uh, i even like had a eight digit hex like you know the hex eight format come through and my coworkers were like why is there an ff on the end of every color like an extra ff you know um oh that was weird yeah and it's you're like trying to explain well that's the actually the alpha value and it maps to zero to 255 because that makes because that's how we think about opacity um and so that was one of those things where it was just like me 
you know, a better, maybe there's a better thing, um, out there. Um, for me, I don't know. I like, I wonder if it's like these P3 color display P3. I don't know how popular, how many devices support P3, but it is such a vibrant thing. Like it's such a vibrant profile. I wonder if you do that for big stuff or something. I wonder if there's kind of like conventions like that, kind of like you use P3 for really big punch of color. And then you use like LCH just to like maintain your life or HSL, you know? Oh, dude, um, I hate to burst your bubble, but it's, just, it's, it's, there's n- your, you, what your brain wants right now is some general guidelines on what yeah, to use and you're just not going to get them. Okay. Then s- burn it all down. Yeah. So- <laughs> Dave's coming over to my side now. See, I'm on Jim's team. So, uh, I'm gonna burn it all down. No colors. No one gets any colors. Well, even if you scope it just to gradients, it's <laughs> we weird. Get, we get five grays. Yeah. <laughs> WebSafe colors. We're going back yeah. to WebSafe. Yeah. Going yeah. back to WebSafe. It's funny how I, I think I just saw I just saw a tweet earlier today about I can't remember who it was, but he was saying how his team had inherited an old project and they were having trouble with the CSS, and he whipped out clear both float none. And everyone was like, whoa, what, what is this devilry? And I, that's kind of an example of like, you know, we used to only have floats and then we got flex and yeah. grid and who knows what we'll have in the future. Float both. <laughs> that that, that a... arcane knowledge of, and why is there an FF on the end of this hex code? Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the old eight digit. That's, that is really weird. Unless it's four digits in which it's not 256. It's 128 because the last digit is doubled. And oh my God. You see the fix. <laughs> This problem, we need to create a pseudo after element with display table. And that's, for some reason, how it gets fixed. It does seem a little like (laughs) academic of an argument, though, to say that are we ruining the system as a whole? Because it's like, I don't don't think there's a lot of evidence that people entering the industry are having a hard time making websites. Like, I feel like there's just as many websites getting made, like that there's lots of education. If anything, it's easier than it was before. And like, I think we should be careful about the system, but I don't think we should be like worried until like prematurely worried that we've ruined the world. (laughs) I think there's lots of other things that are ruining the world uh, before that. (laughs) Speculative currencies. I will concede, like, there's a bit of an olive oil aisle problem with some of these, not just colors, but, like, everything. We're just like, wow, what do I, images, what type of image, you know, or, I don't know, viewports, everything. We so. need grapeseed oil. There's only ever one grapeseed oil. <laughs> it's got a good flashpoint, though, you know? It does. Like, and that's, that's what you want. I know. You know good. Well, that's the you could just say grapeseed oil. That's what people know, you know. And you and you can say web safe. You don't even have to say colors. People just automatically know. We've really honed in on some some, some isms of the web. I feel like universal truth. Well, we should wrap it up. We're going over here, but uh, Jim, for people who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Uh, I'm on Twitter, Jim Niels. I'm also on my website, jim-nielsen.com. Um, giving money, I, I don't know. I, buy the book. Nowhere. There's no, buy the book. There you go. Buy the book, even though I don't get any money from that, but buy the book. What? And, um, Uh-oh. and you'll like it. You'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy the book. 
Awesome. Well, thank you uh, so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure and appreciate the thoughts over on the old blog. So really do. And thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcatcher. Trish, be sure to start her favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for 16 tweets a month. And join us in the Discord, patreon.com slash shop talk show. And uh, I don't know, this is a change that's happening. We have YouTube videos. We are starting a whole new shop talk show a YouTube channel. So it should be out or like we'll have a link or something. So stay tuned for that. If you've missed the videos, right. we're going to be pumping it. We'll ask you to resubscribe over there. Uh, check the show notes here. We're starting a whole new, just keeping it clean, just putting those videos over there. And we lost all of our view counts. So you're <laughs> going to have to rewatch them all and uh, smash that like button one more time. So <laughs> it's just really important. The algorithm. All 24 of them. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, thank you, Chris. You got anything else you'd like to say? Oh, talkshow.com.